0: Good morning. Thank you all for coming out this morning. We are. I'm always excited to come to church on Sunday mornings to worship our Lord and Savior with all of you. And um, on days that I'm asked to preach, I'm just a little more nervous than other days, but I'm still happy to be here. <laughs> so it's good to be here with you. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I will be continuing in chapter 2. We have uh, come to the last verses that complete this section on humble unity in the church and the example that we have in Christ Jesus in humble service. And this section on unity started in Philippians 1 and in verse 27. And it goes all the way through to chapter 2 verse 11. And in chapter 1, uh, 27 to 30, we looked at what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. How we are to strive together for the faith of the gospel. And the reason for living a life worthy of the gospel is out of a heart of worship. And because of what Christ did for us. As verse 29 says, it was granted to you that for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe, but suffer. And it is by grace that we are saved, and our service comes from the heart of worship to the Lord. So then when we moved on to chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and it speaks of how our encouragement is in Christ, and our comfort in love, and the participation... In the spirit challenges us to live in harmony with one another, uh, to count others more significant than ourselves, and to look out for their interests as well as ours, and again, coming from a heart of worship as a result of the work of Christ in our lives and then verses uh, chapter two, verses five to eight we 've seen that the work that Jesus did, and we saw how much it truly cost the Son the lord jesus christ to go to the cross for our sins and how much and how that example serves as the greatest example possible for us as believers to follow and and how to count others more significant on, than ourselves and again we understand that he died so that we could be saved but then today we come to verses 9 through 11 and we will see after going all the way down to the cross God the Father exalted Jesus, and we will look at the reason for His exaltation, and then we will look at the height of His exaltation, and the result of His exaltation. And so, then my very simple title is, The Exalting of Christ, and that's what we want to look at today. And my prayer this morning is that we will truly be motivated to live like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of what he did. So we will long to bring glory to the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit by living a true gospel, living in true gospel unity out of a heart of worship. And so again, Philippians chapter two, and we'll just read from verse five through 11. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And so the first thing that we want to look at here is the reason for Christ's exaltation. And that in verse 9 starts off with, Therefore. Um, Some of the other translations translate it as for this reason. And the, the reason we find in the verses obviously leading up to this point, verse 8 says, He, Jesus Christ, humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And we've seen last time what that truly means. And if you remember, it brought Jesus a long ways down from where He was, right? He started off high, and He came down all the way to the point of death on the cross, And he willingly left his place with the father to be born of a woman, to be, take on the form of a servant in the likeness of men and in human form. And then he continued all the way down to the death on the cross. And in Colossians, Colossians chapter one, um, we see one of the reasons why Jesus was willing to do, willing to, or why he needed to humble himself to the point of death on the cross. So I just want to read um, Colossians 1. It's just one book over. Colossians 1, verses 19 to 22. It says, "...for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." And, how, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so we see man needed to be reconciled. We, and they needed to be made right with God. Because without Christ, we are enemies and we are hostile towards God. And the Lord's humble service of becoming a man in this world and recognized as a man and taking on the form of a servant and He continued all the way down to the cross was that man can be made right with God and so, we can, so that we can be unified with the Lord. And then back in Philippians 2, Paul was sharing this truth of Christ's descent with the Philippians in order to give them the greatest example possible of humble service to bring about unity within the church or within believers and within the bride of Christ. And so we remember that he was writing in Philippians, he was writing to the Christians. And Paul wanted the Christians to understand that it was an attitude of the heart, a humble attitude of service toward one another in the body of Christ that will bring about true unified service, or true unified fellowship between believers. They were, they were facing persecution and they were, they were facing the threat of false teachers. And Paul was reminding them of what it meant to live is Christ, as Paul stated in Philippians 1. And so it is when we belong to the body of Christ. We are a part of that body and we seek to do our part to maintain the unity that is required for the local church to function well and to bring all glory to God the Father. And so our service must be to the glory of God the Father, and not for our own glory. Again, I think I've mentioned this before, but Mike Riccardi calls this book the the gospel or the call to be uh, have a gospel-driven life. And so, when we think of that, we see um, the how this whole book should point us to live a gospel-driven life. Our desire should be to. Promote the gospel in everything we do. Again, in, in when this section started in 1 verse 27, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so Paul was calling the Philippian church to be unified, to stand firm in one spirit, and this is kind of the context of this whole section here. And in chapter 2, verse 2, um, we have. he says that we are to have the same mind as Christ, to have the same attitude and as he did in humble service, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And so that was the mind of Christ, pure, undefiled devotion to do the will of the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, God's will took him all the way down from the Father's side to death on a cross. And Christ's complete humbleness resulted in being exalted by the Father. Again, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Verse 9. So just before Jesus was crucified and he prayed in John seventeen five, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in you before the world existed. And so Jesus was with the Father and He existed there before He came, ever came down as far as the cross and in return, God the Father exalted Him. Jesus was in the glory of God the Father and He was about to enter that glory again. God was glorified in the life of Christ and now God was going to glorify Jesus Christ in return. This was a glorious thing for Jesus and He was well aware of what was before Him. He was going to be glorified by the Father. He knew what was where He was going. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy before Him, and Jesus was aware of that and of being in the glory of the Father and the will of God to bring Him back there. And because of that, He willingly went to the cross. The joy of being in the glory of the Father before Him. It was His desire and joy as well to glorify the Father on earth, because He would be glorified by the Father. In Luke twenty four twenty six, Jesus reminded reminds some of His disciples that it was necessary that Christ should go to the cross and then enter into His glory, because this was God's plan from the beginning. This was by which means Jesus would enter the glory of God. And Jesus was looking forward to being in heaven with the Father. There was a place for Him there that far exceeded His trials that He was facing here. And the lowness of the cross and, and all the shame of dying there on the hill for all to see was a price that wouldn't have been a consideration for Him at all. In order to, be recon- in order to reconcile us to God and to be in the glory of the Father. And it was as much His will to reconcile sinners to the Father as it was God's will. In the high priestly prayer in John 17, 1, Jesus prays to God the Father when the hour had come for His crucifixion. In John 17, 1, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may be glorified and so Jesus came to glorify the father on earth. Verse 4 in John there says, in John 17:4 says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus accomplished the mission or he accomplished what God wanted him to do. And it was through his humble submission to the will of God and Jesus was being glorified now by God for that. He fully completed his, his call or what God wanted from him. So as, just as a side note, I want us just to look at what that work was that Jesus completed. Because when we think of what Christ's work, when we think of Christ's work as a, as being fully complete and it accomplished what it was meant to accomplish, then that should serve as a great encouragement, a great motivation for us as believers to, out of a heart of worship, seek to glorify Him. Seek to live a gospel-driven life. And turn with me then to John chapter 6, verse 38. I'll read verse 38 to 40. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on that last day. And so, Jesus accomplished the work that God had given Him to do. Jesus was not... Here to do His own will, but to do the will of the Father. He came to complete the work of saving all those whom the Father has given Him. And for all those who will look on the Son and believe in Him will be raised up by Jesus on the last day. He came to do the Father's will and He did it perfectly. He fully completed the work that He was sent to do. And He paid for the sins of everyone who has and will ever believe in Him. Jesus came to do the will of the Father, and that was our greatest, that is what our greatest desire should be as well. Our greatest example of that kind of service is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the mind of humility, of counting more others, others more significant than ourselves, that looking out for the interests of others and doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, as we've seen earlier in chapter two of Philippians. Therefore, God highly exalted him. We are to have this mind because it is God's will. It is the will of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, that we have this same mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. We have this mind in Christ Jesus when we are saved. We become his children. Jesus was God and he became a servant so that he would lose nothing that the Father had given him. That was his purpose. That was What he came to accomplish and he was here to do the father's will and so then how do we how do we apply that to us what does that look like in our lives in all likelihood none of us will ever die on a cross but Jesus says we are to pick up our cross and follow him we too have a joy set before us. So the principle is the same for us as it was for, for Christ Jesus. In John MacArthur's commentary, he says, the way to exaltation is always through humiliation. If the principle was true for the Son of God, how much more is it true for his followers? End quote. So we are to have the same mind, or this attitude among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 2.5. Jesus was exalted because He was humbled to the point of death, and He promises us the same. As we already seen in, in John 6.40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will be raised by Christ on the last day. That is a promise to all who believe. This world has nothing to offer us that can come anywhere close to the promise of eternity with Christ. And so the only other option is to pay for our sins for all of eternity in hell. So we can choose to believe now and be exalted by Christ, or we can choose, or we can, or we will for all of eternity pay for our sins in hell. And so for, um, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul Mark 8:35 And so the whole world cannot even compare to the eternity that we have with Christ our eternal home with the Lord And in John 14:2 Jesus said, "In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again" And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so we have every reason before us to live in true unity in the body of Christ, to humble ourselves for the sake of the gospel, as Jesus Christ did. We have the joy set before us, as Christ did, to live a gospel driven life. And this humbleness is a matter of the heart. It's not something we muster up, it has to be from a heart. That is for the glory of Jesus Christ that we live. Out of our understanding of the gospel, we worship the Lord by serving Him. We want to be exalted by by Jesus Christ. We are not our own, but belong to God, and that is our only hope in life and death. So we need to live for God because we belong to God. Turn with me to uh, Matthew 23 and... Here Jesus warns about exalting oneself, and it's an attitude of look at me instead of looking to glorify God in everything we do. Matthew 23. Starting at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit at Moses on Moses's seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and lay on them lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And the love, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so true humility from the heart will be rewarded by an exalting from none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. That will be a glorious day for all of us who believe. We have a joy set before us to be exalted by the Christ. But he says... Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. May that encourage us to serve Him, because today is the day of salvation. This life is a vapor; it is a mist. That as soon as it's go- as soon as it is it sets somewhere, the wind comes and blows it away. It is gone. It is nothing in comparison to eternity. And all in this life that is not for Christ is vanity. It will be worth nothing. So one more example that I would like us to see uh, about building treasures in heaven for the glory of God versus the glory of man, Um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when we know to, to do good, it feels good, it makes us feel good. But if we give or help the needy so that others will come and praise us or pat us on the back, then we have had our reward. That is it. That is all we will get for that. It will last all of two minutes or until the compliments run out. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't compliment others for doing good deeds. I'm saying if we do good deeds for that reason alone, then we have forfeited our reward. And if, if what we do is so that it will be seen by men and, to the, and be praised by men, then that is the limit of that reward. But on the other hand, as we have seen already, if we serve for the glory of God, then our reward is eternal. We have eternal rewards that we can look forward to when we stand before the Lord in eternity, and just to be in his presence alone will be worth our complete service to him again matthew twenty three twelve as we 've seen already, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. so then if we go back to Philippians and then this whole section again from one starting at one twenty seven is a call to true unity within the body of Christ. Serving and striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. We have the greatest example of how to achieve this unity, and that is the humble service of Christ Jesus Himself. We are His bride, and therefore we are to serve in true humility as Christ did. So that we are bringing glory to God and to God alone. With this this attitude, we help the weak, we give to the needy, we pray for the sick, we help them wherever we can, we serve our community with this attitude, we represent not only Grace Bible Fellowship, but we are to represent Christ Jesus to the lost. This is the mind of Christ that we are to have among us. Therefore, God highly exalted Jesus, and therefore, we should, with that same attitude, serve wholeheartedly the Lord of our salvation. To be with Christ in all His glory is promised to us, and that alone should cause us to worship the Lord in service to Him. That is what Stephen seen in Acts 7.55 when he gazed into His heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And so Jesus was, Jesus who was, sorry, So Jesus, who was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And verse nine, therefore God highly exalted him. Should we then not also, since we are saved through this selfless act on our behalf, seek to be humble? In our service to the Lord, may that be our desire to follow His great example and live humble, selfless, loving, sacrificial lives for the Lord. And He will exalt us to be in glory with Him for all of eternity in His time. Because Jesus was pure in heart indeed, He was truly without sin in every way, and was willing to humble Himself to the lows of this world and to be crucified on our behalf. He was exalted. But because he was perfect, he can truly be exalted beyond anything that we will ever be exalted to. In every way, he was perfect, and therefore, it says that God highly exalted him. And that then brings me to the second point that I want to look at, is the height of Jesus' exaltation. The height of his exaltation. So again, let's just read uh, chapter 2, verses 9, and through to the beginning of verse 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For this reason, God highly exalted him. He, he highly exalted him. And according to one commentary, the verb exalted is, is an unusual compound word found only here in the New Testament. So this is the only time this word is used in, in the whole New Testament. And it says, by adding the prefix above to the verb exalt, the word designates the highest possible exaltation. And so then the literal meaning is to be exalted beyond measure. So when he says to be highly exalted is to be exalted beyond measure, the highest possible place. And this is a place that no one else will ever be exalted to. Only Christ was worthy of this exaltation because only Christ lived a perfect sinless life that was completely and holy to the glory of God the Father. Not only was He worthy of this exaltation, but it was God's plan from eternity past to exalt Jesus to this height. God bestowed on Him that the name that is above every other name. And there is no other name that comes close to describing the height that Jesus is exalted to. And so the name that he was given in his exaltation is not Jesus. Jesus is his name on earth. Plus there were others who also had that name we can read of in the New Testament. Jesus is the name that God told Mary and Joseph to give him. He was, that's the name that people knew him as on earth. And so the name that God bestowed on him will be something other than Jesus. The name will be above every other name. It will be a highly exalted name. It will cause every knee to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge him. And then Paul finally tells what that name is in verse 11 when he says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord He is the Lord, the only name that is above everything else. Lord meaning having full sovereign control and authority over everything. We will look at what kind of authority God's word says that he will get with this name. And in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says of himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then in Hebrews 2, verse 9 it says, But we see him for a little while. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. So not only does he have all authority in heaven and on earth, but he has been crowned with glory and honor. And then in 1 Peter 3:22 it says, Who has gone into heaven? It says this of Jesus, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. So angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to Him. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 20, it says, God worked with Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so we begin to see what it means to be the Lord in the sense that Jesus was given the name Lord. It means to be Lord over everything. There is nothing that is not under His sovereign reign or control. Jesus was exalted to be Lord. And the phrase, my Lord, is sometimes used in the form of respect, who is, who is some, in some position of power, such as a king or a judge. This might be something you hear in the UK, or a polite way to show respect to someone who is in a position of power. But Jesus, as the Lord, carries with it so much more than just respect. Again, Paul describes it that this man who the world knows as Jesus will have every knee bow to him as Lord. The ESV version says that every knee should bow, where the the New King James, the the LASB, and the or the NASB, sorry, and the Legacy Standard Bible all translated as every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I won't explain attempt to explain to you how this, how the translators decided to use the word should or will. But I know Pastor Mike can, so if you want to have a better explanation on that, talk to him about it after. He did explain it to me and it makes sense, but I just feel like I'll mess it up if I try to explain it. But I do believe what Pastor Mike said is that should is a more literal translation, and that's why they translated it as such. But when we look at what it truly means to be Lord, we will see that it comes with the kind of authority that will cause every knee to bow. It will cause every knee to bow. And Paul is writing what God said through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years earlier, and we find this written in Isaiah chapter 45. And so, you can turn there, actually, if you want, but I'll just read it here. Um, Isaiah turn, uh, verse 45 and verse 21, it says, Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. And then in verse 22, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. And so, uh, was it not I, the Lord? The Lord is none other than God. God himself is the Lord. Lord is translated from the word Yahweh. I'm sure you've heard that term before. Yahweh is the existing one or the proper name for the one true God. The Lord is God. So then if we go to Isaiah 45, verse 23, and it says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And that word is, To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And so the Lord, Yahweh, every knee will bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. And Paul not only mentions this in Philippians, but he also quotes the same quote in Romans 14.11. He says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And so God is Lord, the Lord is God, the Lord is Yahweh. And in the in the Greek, it is translated kurios. Paul has given the name Lord or kurios to Jesus Christ in Philippians. He equates Jesus Christ with the Lord or with God, making him equal with God. And so the people that were reading this letter in Philippians would have understood what he meant when he said Jesus would be Lord. They knew he meant he would be kurios or God. In Philippians, Paul says this name, Lord, has been given to the man they knew as Jesus. The man who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He is Lord. God's word says in Philippians 2 that Jesus Christ is equal with God. He is indeed God. At the, and at the name of the Lord, there will be so much, there is so much authority that it will cause every knee to finally bow to the King as is fitting in the case of our sovereign Lord. Not only will the angels in heaven and everyone who has passed into eternity to be with the Lord already from earth, but also every single person who is on earth and all those who are under the earth. And so that leaves not a single knee in all of human history that will not bow and and it even includes angels in heaven and those who along with the devil were thrown out of heaven and all along with all those who died without Christ and are awaiting judgment. There is not one who will not acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and not just bowing the knee but confessing with the tongue. In some cases the word tongue is used to speak of different languages but the tongue is also an organ of speech. With the tongue we speak. Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, we will all recognize Jesus Christ as Lord one day. We will bow the knee and we will confess Him as Lord. Either we will do so willingly out of a heart of worship or we will do so forcefully because we are in the presence of the Lord. And we know and we will know who He is. Everyone will know that He is Lord. Every knee will in the presence of the Lord bow from the heart, and from the heart will confess Jesus as Lord. Again, the believers will do so in a heart of worship, and all those who face His judgment will do so against their will. And so the warning here is that we must from our hearts confess Jesus as Lord here and now, and willingly and not be forced to in eternity. Romans 10:9 says because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What a glorious truth that is. And so confessing with the tongue that Jesus is Lord has to be the result of believing with the heart that Jesus is Lord we will believe that He is Lord either in this life or when we see Him face to face in eternity. That is a fact. The good news is if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth, we will be saved. And that is my prayer for everyone this morning, everyone who hears this message, that we will truly bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord now while there is time. But there is a warning that comes with this call to confess Him as Lord. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." And so just saying the words is not enough. It has to come from a new heart that we truly believe and confess Him as Lord. And that new heart can only come from our Sovereign Lord. And if you believe, then Philippians one twenty nine says, It has been granted to you that for the name of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer. It has been granted to you to believe and to suffer for the name of Christ. And it is on, the ba- it is on that basis that we confess Him as Lord. For this reason, we bow the knee willingly to the Lord as our Lord and Savior. May we do that every day of our lives. May we recognize Him and serve Him out of a heart of worship because He is the Lord. And I hope that we are so convinced of that truth that He is Lord that we willingly bow the knee to Him and pledge allegiance to Him as our Lord. Against all the pressures of this world to bow to the rulers of this age, we must only bow to the true Lord Jesus Christ. And so just as a way of an encouragement, I want us to look at just one more thing that God did when he exalted Jesus Christ. And that is God made him head over all things. And being head over all things is part and parcel with being the Lord. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1. And he says, God worked in Christ when He raised Him, verse 20, God worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And so we see Jesus was not just raised from the dead. He was not just put in the presence of the Father to be with Him, but He was raised from the dead and He ascended into heaven so that He would rule in all authority, in heaven and on earth, as we've seen in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And so when we think about Him being in all authority, in heaven and on earth, then in light of the Great Commission even, if we would It should give us much confidence in taking the gospel to the world because we go on His authority. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it has been given to Him by by God. But Christ being at the right hand of the Father means even more than that, especially for us as believers. We as believers can take comfort in the fact that He has all power and authority and because of that He will we will and do willingly bow the knee to Him now and confess Him as Lord. And we do so in a heart of worship. Romans eight thirty four and 35 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation and distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? So there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. He has, He is interceding for us. God has made him ruler over all things and has given all power and authority to him in heaven and on earth. And so we have a great promise in Christ Jesus. He was raised. He is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Hebrews 7.26 calls him a high priest who intercedes for us to the Father. God exalted him to his right hand. He is interceding for us. He is representing the believers to God as righteous through his blood on the cross. And so then no one can separate us. We are secure in Christ. And in that we should seek to glorify God in all we do. That should cause us to worship him and to Serve him with our whole heart. Because of that truth, we should, with all confidence, seek to glorify God in all we do. And then that leads me then to the final point the result of his exaltation. The result of his exaltation, verse 11, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, as Paul wraps up this section of his letter on unity, in the body of Christ to the Philippians, he says it is to the glory of God the Father. And I have to assume Paul means all that of, of what is written here, starting back even in verse 5 of chapter 2, about Jesus' incarnation and all that was involved in that, and all the way to where God was ex- has exalted him to his own right side as Lord. It is all for the glory of God the Father. And all that Jesus did was to glorify God. Jesus the Son and God the Father are one being. They are two parts of the triune God. They as well as the Holy Spirit only work together for the glory of God and they do, and all they do is for the glory of God. We are asked in chapter two, verse five, to have this mind among ourselves, the mind that is ours in Christ Jesus, the mind of humble servanthood to God, the Father, for the glory of God the Father. And we see that it is, only, it is the only way to true unity, or that, that is the only way that true unity can be achieved. We live not for our own glory, but for the glory of God the Father. And our best example to follow and bringing glory to God is by following His Son, Jesus Christ, to have the mind among ourselves that is ours in Christ Jesus. All that Jesus did was to, glory, to the glory of God. And we've seen this earlier, but John 17, verse 4 and 5 says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The Father and the Son are one, and all they do is for the glory of God. Jesus is Lord over all, and all he does is for his glory. And so the challenge for us then is, do we seek to glorify God in our lives? To have the mind of Christ, we must seek to bring glory to God in everything we do. John five forty four. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees who were seeking to kill him. And remember, these Pharisees were seeking the praise of man in all they do. They were praying on street corners so they could be seen as godly men. It says in John 5.44, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only true God? How can you believe in God if you desire to be glorified by men and not by God? See, they, are not, they were not truly seeking God's glory. They were not seeking God's glory for themselves or for God. They were seeking to be glorified by men. They were seeking the glory of man. And so to bring this to a close, then I want us to once more look at what Paul was asking the Philippians to do here in this whole section. Starting in in chapter 1, verse 27, he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Then he went on to give the greatest example of humility possible. And that was the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And his willingness to go all the way to the cross and to die there so that sinners as us can be glorified in Christ as Romans 8 30 says and he did that all for the glory of God so then we must examine ourselves here and ask of ourselves are we bringing glory to God by living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ do we seek to glorify God so that we can be glorified by him Or do we seek to be glorified by men so that we can feel good about ourselves now? If we truly believe in our hearts that God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins, and that we are, as believers, justified by the payment for our sins on the cross, then we must seek to glorify God in everything we do. Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, and He is interceding for us on our behalf. May the truth of that cause us to worship our Lord and Savior and bring glory to the Father by living a life worthy of the gospel. And then Paul continues on in Philippians chapter 2 in 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. God is working in us for His good pleasure. We have the promise that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, and He is interceding for us. And Paul then calls us to work out our salvation. May we be encouraged to work it out, to work out our salvation by dealing with our sins in our lives and seeking to glorify God in every aspect of our lives. May we seek to glorify the Lord in all we do, as Jesus did in all He did. And may we truly desire to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just come before You again this morning and we are just grateful for the gift of salvation. We understand that we are saved by grace and by grace alone. And it was Your will to save us, Lord, and in Your due time, I pray, Lord, that it would cause us to worship You in such a way that it will affect every part of our lives, every single day, every minute of our lives. May may we seek to honor and glorify You, no matter the cost. Father, may, may the truth of Your Word just penetrate our hearts and cause us to do so. For Your honor and for Your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.